Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you with us. Got a couple of things on the docket for today. Want to talk about the coaching carousel in the NBA for just a couple of moments. It's a carousel because what we're seeing are a couple of things. Number one, we're seeing how little the regular season in the NBA means. And we're also seeing very much a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of I guess, situation with all of the coaches that have been let go that had great regular seasons and in some cases coached their teams to championships and the NBA Finals. Uh, So we'll get to that in just a moment. Also coming up a little bit later on in the program, uh, Episode 4 of Tales from 1265 has dropped. We take a deep dive into the 60s. So grab your bell bottoms, grab your protest signs, put them all in your hippie van, and we're headed back to the 1960s. It was a... An incredible decade in a lot of different ways. I mean, this was the same decade where there was so much societal upheaval. There was, uh, you know, politician after politician, leader after leader, uh, many in the civil rights movement that were literally gunned down in the streets. And we've never seen, thankfully, in this country, we've never seen anything like that since. Uh, we've got some other issues with uh, with guns that are going on right now that... Hasn't been solved. I hope it gets solved at some point. But in the 1960s, instead of the mass shootings, it was the politically motivated shootings. But we talk mostly about football and we talk mostly about the Green Bay Packers, of course, on Tales from 1265. But we do go back to that Lombardi era. So looking forward to bringing you a short excerpt of that coming up in just a couple of moments as well. But the Bucks expanding their head coaching search. The latest, as I record this, is that they have received permission to speak with two more assistants, uh, two teams that made playoff runs, one that's still alive, Miami Heat assistant coach Chris Quinn and Phoenix Suns associate head coach Kevin Young, who may or may not be available. Technically, he's still under contract, as is Charles Lee. But, you know, if you've got a head coach that just got fired and you're an associate head coach, you might be elevated. I'm not sure why you would go in that direction, and the Bucks are in that situation with Charles Lee, who I think is a fine coach, but I'm not sure is ready to coach a championship-ready team. Sometimes you've got to coach. I think he's ready for an NBA head coaching job. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure that it's here. And the fact that he had been with Mike Budenholzer for so long, I mean, there were you know failures in the postseason. We talked about it on the last podcast that – Giannis didn't want to talk about failure, didn't think that any failure in the postseason means that it's a failure overall as the season is concerned. But what you're seeing with coach after coach after coach that have deep resumes getting fired, hmm, the playoffs are important. And the regular season more and more isn't. You look at the Miami Heat, the Heat and the Lakers, both teams had mediocre regular seasons. Both teams were low seeds. The latest is that, again, Chris Quinn and Kevin Young, uh, they have gotten permission from their teams to speak with the Bucks. The Bucks are also now said to be very interested in now former Suns coach Monty Williams. So here's the real irony of all of this. Mike Budenholzer is thought to be on the Suns shortlist. Monty Williams is thought to be on the Bucks shortlist. They coached against each other. Budenholzer with the Bucks. Monty Williams with the Suns two years ago in the NBA Finals. So, stranger things, I suppose, have happened. Uh, we already know that the Bucks have requested and gotten permission 
to speak to a number of coaches, some with head coaching experience, Kenny Atkinson and Scott Brooks. And we also have been told, and we believe, that the Bucks have some interest in Nick Nurse as well. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show uh, a couple of minutes ago. Nick Nurse has an NBA championship not that long ago, three seasons ago. He was at the helm, I mean, I'm sorry, four seasons ago, he was at the helm of the Toronto Raptors in 2019. Remember when the Bucks got to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2001? Well, that was Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors who defeated the Bucks and went on to win their only NBA championship. Uh, he's been fired. Um, the next year was Frank Vogel in 2020 with the Lakers. Obviously, he's been fired. Now Mike Budenholzer has been fired. Uh, Monty Williams, who just, as I mentioned a second ago, was in the NBA Finals two years ago, fired. Doc Rivers, fired. Now, Doc Rivers has been a coach for a long time, and the most damning statistic that you can say about Doc Rivers, and I didn't realize this until, I mean, you, you knew that there were some playoff failures, right? I think we all knew that about Doc's coaching resume. But this is what I didn't realize After their loss to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference semifinals in Game 7, Doc, on his coaching resume, has 10 playoff Game 7 losses. That's twice as much as the next guy. It takes at least, bare minimum, a decade to accomplish that. And Doc's been a coach for a lot longer than a decade. But 10 playoff Game 7 losses. That's damning. So who's the best fit for the Bucks? I don't know. Maybe it is now Monty Williams. Maybe it's Nick Nurse. I mean, but these are guys who have coached their teams as head coaches deep into the playoffs. It's not a knock against Kenny Atkinson. It's not a who does have a ring. He won a championship ring as a top assistant coach last season and has head coaching experience. Scott Brooks is a former NBA coach of the year. Charles Lee, I think, as I said before, he could be a fine head coach. You never know. I mean, Darvin, listen, Darvin Ham, I would have said the same thing about, and Darvin Ham still has his team alive as a rookie head coach in the NBA. Darvin Ham waited and waited and waited and waited and finally got his opportunity, and he's making the most of it, and I think everybody in Milwaukee is happy about that. I mean, as far as the four teams that are left in the NBA in the NBA playoffs, if you would have said, I'm rooting for the Lakers as opposed to any of the other three teams that are alive, the Nuggets uh, in the West, and then the Celtics in the Heat in the East, if you would have said, well, yeah, I don't mind if the, if, if the Lakers win, I think at any other time you would have, in Milwaukee anyway, or in Wisconsin, been looked at as you were nuts. Then you say, well, no, but Darvin Ham's their coach. Oh, okay. All right, I get it. Darvin Ham is a Milwaukee legend. He's always going to be a Milwaukee legend. He's always going to be a Bucks legend as a player and then as an assistant coach on the first team to win an NBA championship in 50 years. But how long will it be until Darvin Ham is shown the door? How long will it be now until any of these coaches, Michael Malone, when's he going to get shown the door? So what makes a great NBA head coach? I mean, you got to start with great players, but with this revolving door, doesn't matter what you did in the regular season. It doesn't matter what that win 
what, what the win column looks like if you don't hoist a trophy at the end of the season. And listen, I think it's put up or shut up time for a couple of franchises, and the Philadelphia 76ers were absolutely one of them. And now it's like, okay, enough. I, Philadelphia is always going to be looked at until they go out and do that. And I've said this a couple of times. You've, you haven't done it until you've done it, which seems like a stupid thing to say, but I think there's maybe a little bit more wisdom in that than what you might think on uh, on the outset of that. Until you've done it, you haven't done it. Well, the Philadelphia 76ers, I haven't done it. You can rip the bucks all you want for their first round exit and how meek it was and how many failures they had with or without Giannis in the lineup because of the uh, the back injury, but they weren't playing great with him when he was healthy in in the lineup. In the first game, the first I know it was only the first quarter of the first game against the Heat, but it's not like they were setting the world on fire. You can rip the bucks all you want. It cost Mike Budenholz for his job, and I think that all of those criticisms are fair because they were, record-wise, the best team in the NBA going into the postseason, and they flamed out early. Now, I don't think anybody wants to see the Miami Heat right now, let alone the Boston Celtics. That doesn't mean that the Heat are going to wind up winning the NBA championship, but whatever switch they flipped... Okay, it's working for them because they not only have dispatched the Bucks, but now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they very well could wind up in the NBA Finals as well with the way that Jimmy Butler and his supporting cast has played. But one thing that you, even if you do rip the Bucks, can't deny is that Philadelphia, what have they done? They've done literally nothing, and they have tried to get great players in there. They tried to, at first it was, let's surround Ben Simmons with as much talent as possible. And Joel Embiid, who's had injury issues, okay, finally, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they're going to be this one-two combo. All right, Ben Simmons looks like he's a quitter and doesn't even want to play basketball, so let's ship him off to the Brooklyn Nets. Let's bring back James Harden. All right, James Harden and Joel Embiid and that surrounding cast, well, that didn't work. And then Joel Embiid completely disintegrates in the playoffs, specifically in Game 7. Now, I don't have a problem with uh, Joel Embiid winning the NBA's MVP award because I guess I'd say the same thing about Nikola Jokic, who's a great, phenomenal, phenomenal player. But after two years of winning back-to-back MVP awards, what have the Denver Nuggets done? So far, nothing. Now, this may be the year where they finally have their breakthrough because that's the other put-up-or-shut-up team. It's the Denver Nuggets. We've been waiting on this for a while now, just like the rest of the NBA up until two years ago had been saying that about the Bucks, which was fair. Put up or shut up time. You've got Giannis, and you've surrounded him with some talent. You've surrounded him. At first, it was with Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. Okay, well, that's, a, that's an okay three, but maybe you could use an upgrade at the point guard position. So they ship Eric Bledsoe out, and they bring Drew Holiday in. It's the oldest team in the NBA. This is a veteran team. They are ready to win. Brooke Lopez, 35 years old, runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. Splash Mountain can still hit it from the outside, can still guard the rim on the inside. This is a team that is ready to win a championship, but until they had won a championship, it was put-up or shut-up time. So they put up. I still think that there's another championship run left in this team, but the window is closing. I don't think Chris Middleton is coming back next year. I do think that he's going to decline his $40 million option, and there's going to be somebody else out there who's going to give him more money. Now, does that mean that there can't be a sign-and-trade? I mean, Dame Lillard's name has been thrown out there. Would he be a good fit for the Bucks? Yeah, if you can make it fit financially. And that's why John Horst is one of the best executives in sports history, at least in the state of Wisconsin. 
because he's put all those pieces together and he's made it work with his staff. So I guess then at the end of the day, where the Bucks will land right now is anybody's guess, but they have cast the net pretty far and wide. Moving on to football, the Packers are just about set to begin OTAs, and it's obviously a new look Packers offense certainly this year with Jordan Love under center and Aaron Rodgers, now a member of the New York Jets. Last week on the Spectrum Sports Roundtable with Dennis Krause, Chuck Freeman and I had the opportunity to sit down with Dennis, and we talked about what the future will hold for the Packers and you know some of our thoughts about Jordan Love taking over as QB1. Doug, uh, new Packers starting quarterback Jordan Love talked to reporters for the first time on Wednesday since uh, Aaron Rodgers' departure. What did you take away from it? I thought his honesty was refreshing. I thought that his uh, confidence certainly was there. I like the fact that he was at the podium. There was... You know, I know media starts with me, right? Uh, and we were all, you know, working out in the offseason to try to get our arms ready to hold the microphone next to Aaron Rodgers' locker. But with Jordan Love, it just felt like, you know, this was his time. Um, I felt like when he talked about the Aaron Rodgers extension a year ago, how that affected him, I, I thought that he was refreshingly honest. And, you know, he won the press conference as far as I'm concerned. Now he's got to win some games, but I thought he won the press conference. I would agree with you. Very uh, cool, Chuck, and I think... He said the right things. Now, obviously, what he does on the field matters most, but it was a good start. Yeah, and, of course, the media kept poking him, kept poking him, wanting to uh, say something about Aaron Rodgers, and he refused to go there, and he handled himself. And like he did uh, a few other times when he's uh, played in games, he's handled himself like a champ, and he's going to be just fine. Yeah, my concern is not how he's going to handle the media, but how he's going to handle being the starting quarterback, and not so much uh, following the footsteps of a legend, but how he's going to adjust and being a first-year quarterback in the NFL. Just for the record, he said he did talk to Aaron Rodgers, after Rodgers was dealt to the Jets, Rodgers was supportive of him. Uh, let's hear from Jordan Love about what his leadership style is going to be. My main focus is trying to bring guys along, trying to give everybody else confidence in themselves, um, confidence that I believe in them, I trust them, um, and just trying to bring guys up. You know, I never kind of want to be negative around guys. You know, we all want to, we all want the same goal. Um, we all want to be great. We all want to work together. You've got a situation here where he has to be who he is. I, I get mm-hmm. that. But he comes in after Brett Favre and, mm-hmm. and Aaron Rodgers. Goes back to 1992. Packers have had essentially Hall of Fame quarterbacks sure. that fans have been, including me, spoiled. So how does Jordan Love handle that? Or does he handle it? I, I, you said it best. He has to be himself. To think that there would be back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks is an astronomical feat. Well, it happened. To think that there's going to be three in a row, uh, there aren't odds for that. That's off the books. There are Packers fans of a whole generation, maybe if you're 35 or 36 or younger, who don't know what it's like to have a Hall of Fame quarterback as your QB1. So there's going to be an adjustment for fans as well. But for Jordan Love, he just has to be himself. He just has to go out, play the best game that he can possibly play. He had the, the luxury, as Aaron Rodgers did, of sitting behind a Hall of Famer for three years, you're going to learn something. And he's also, when Rodgers was holding out or not attending training camp or any of the OTAs, he did have the opportunity to at least act as QB1 in those instances. So I think he's going to handle it well, but again, he can't try to do too much. And Chuck, you and I are old enough to remember the Jim Delgazos and Carlos Brown <laughs> of too. the world. <laughs> he's the, I'm a little bit the He's not a spring chicken either. <laughs> I was trying to, trying to help him Appreciate out Appreciate that. Um, what do you think about 
kind of the situation that Jordan Love finds himself in as far as the guys he's following. Well, because, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't look so much at that, but I look at how is he going to win the locker room. He's got a young receiving core. I think that bodes well for him because they're all going to grow together. He's going to win over that locker room because there's some young guys. Sure, Aaron Jones, he's going to have to earn his trust, the, the veteran running back, but there's other guys. There's a lot of young guys on an offense, and winning the locker room is important, uh, very important, as we've known from the past with the guys you've mentioned there. And I, and I think he's going to grow with these young receivers. He's the oldest guy of that core right there. Just for the record, Aaron Jones said that he's already won their respect in the locker room by the way he works. Let's hear more from Jordan Love about dealing with the pressure of being the Packers' starting quarterback. It's pressure. No matter where you're going to be at, it's going to be pressure. Um, You're an NFL quarterback. You know, there's only so many of you. So everyone's watching you. Everyone's watching every every move you make on the field. Um, So it's pressure, but that's what comes with position. Like, that's what I signed up for. That's what I knew I was getting myself into. I get the sense, Doug, and and obviously you'd have different answers with each player, but as far as the teammates reacting to this, I I get the feeling they were ready to turn the page. Oh, absolutely. I think they were because Aaron Rodgers was a great quarterback, may still be a great quarterback, may lead the New York Jets to the Super Bowl, who knows, but he does suck a lot of the air out of the room, (laughs) right? I mean... You appreciate what Aaron Rodgers I was wondering did. where you were going with that sentence, but yeah. Yeah, yeah he, but he really does. I mean, when Aaron Rodgers walks into the room, you know how it is. I mean, there are just certain guys who do that. In some ways, it's positive. In other ways, perhaps less so. Um, I do believe that this locker room was ready for a change, appreciating what he did, knowing that number 12 will take its place in the facade. Uh, he will get his number retired. He will go into Canton, and he's earned all of that. But it was time. A short excerpt from the Spectrum Roundtable last week that uh, I was on with Chuck Freeman. Of course, Dennis Krause moderating as well. All right, there's a new episode of Tales from 1265 out. We take a trip back to the 1960s. Yeah, there were a lot of things going on in the world. The civil rights movement was going on. We put a man on the moon. It was the decade of Woodstock. It was the decade of Kennedy. Uh, There was a lot of turmoil in the country as well, but in Green Bay, Wisconsin, it was all about Vince Lombardi, and it was all about winning championships. The American Football League began operations in 1960 as a direct competitor to the already established NFL. Now, there had been other iterations of NAFL in pro football's formative years, but nothing like this league. AFL owners were comprised primarily of businessmen who were denied entry into the NFL for various reasons. Once Heisman Trophy winner Billy Cannon spurned the NFL's Los Angeles Rams, who picked him number one overall in 1960 for the AFL expansion Houston Oilers, the AFL felt it could compete. And while stadium attendance was still relatively low, the AFL's lucrative television contract with ABC buoyed the entire operation. By 1965, with a solid footing in major American cities like Houston, San Diego, New York, Kansas City, Denver, and Boston, the AFL was beginning to be a real problem for the NFL. The two leagues were at war, with future Hall of Famers choosing sides. Gail Sayers picking the NFL's Chicago Bears over the AFL's Kansas City Chiefs, for example, while Joe Namath went with the AFL's New York Jets over the NFL's St. Louis Cardinals. In Green Bay, the Packers had their own issues, facing two straight years of not having been to the NFL championship game. The expectations were certainly there. The talent was there. But the road to step one of an unprecedented run of NFL immortality was a rocky one. 
In the NFL's Western Division, both the Packers and Colts ended the 1965 season with 10-3-1 records. Interestingly, the rules dictated that head-to-head results were not a tiebreaker, Green Bay defeating Baltimore in both of their meetings that season. A Week 14 tie, the last week of the regular season, meant that Green Bay and Baltimore would have to play a tiebreaker. The game began with its own challenge. Bart Starr was injured on the Packers' first play and was unable to return. For the Colts, they had to use running back Tim Maddy at quarterback, with Johnny Unitas and backup Gary Quazzo both injured. With just under two minutes left in regulation, Don Chandler's 22-yard field goal attempt appeared to sail wide right. Chandler's own reaction said as much, that he missed a chip-shot field goal at an important time. But the officials signaled it was good, explaining that the ball had sailed over the upright. Replays were inconclusive, but appear to show otherwise. The Colts, understandably, were furious. But there was no replay in 1965. Whatever the call was, stood. Regulation time has run out with a score of 10 to 10. The Green Bay Packers won the flip of the coin, and they have elected to receive at the north end of the field to put the ball in play for sudden death overtime. In the extra frame, Baltimore had their chances. And Lou Michaels will attempt a 47-yard field goal. The angle is to the left. Bob Boyd will hold. There's the snap. The ball is booted. It's in the air. It's going to be short and wide to the right. It is no good. But in the end, it was the Packers for a no-doubter this time. Bill Curry gets over the ball at center. Bart Starr will kneel at the 25-yard line. And it's all up to Bart Starr and Don Chandler now. Starr stretches out the hand. There's the snap. The boot. The ball is in the air. It is good. The Green Bay Packers are the Western Division By hook or by crook, the Packers had once again reached the NFL championship game against the Eastern Division champion, Cleveland Browns. Green Bay Packers shooting for their sixth victory in a world championship game to add to their eight titles won thus far, three of the titles won before the divisional playoff system was installed. Before the game at Lambeau Field, some five inches of snow fell on Green Bay, delaying fans, stadium workers, the teams and even radio announcer Blaine Walsh. We have a strange set of weather conditions here at Green Bay this afternoon. There's vapor coming from the stands, and when the players gather in a huddle, it looks like a cloud rising. Every time the players move into a huddle, a cloud of vapor rises into the air, both sides, the defensive huddle, the offensive huddle. And every time there's a big roar from the crowd in front of us, we get another big crowd of vapor that rises right in front of the broadcast booth. And going the other way, that's right, it's hot air, Going the other way, we've got some snow coming down, more like snow pellets, almost freezing rain, falling a little bit more gently than that. In the third quarter, the Packers pulled away. Starr takes the ball, hands off to Haunting, sweep to the left side, he's got the block, he's inside the 10, he's at the 5, cuts into the end zone for the touchdown! It's third down and a yard to go. The handoff goes to Tommy Moore, and he cracks across the 35-yard line. Four seconds remaining. I believe the Packers made a first down on the last play. The game is over. The Green Bay Packers are the National Football League champions for 1965. And the team of destiny has come through for Coach Vince Lombardi, 
this probably his greatest job of coaching. Coach, this is the third championship for the Packers since you've been the head coach. That's correct. Where would you fit this in in your feelings right now on the I following think I, victory? I, I, think I, I think I mentioned that during the week. I thought this team had more character than any football team I've coached. And I think that's a great compliment to them. May I ask you one technical question from a broadcaster's point of view? With the field conditions as everyone saw them, how close could you stick to your plan of the game? We've, we stuck to the game plan. The field conditions do not bother us anymore. We, we're, uh, <laughs> we play the play. We play the game. Were you in any way amazed at the condition of the field in view of the horrible weather of this morning? The condition, I thought the field was excellent under, underneath the circumstances, really. The title had returned to Titletown as a new era of football was about to begin. All right, a short excerpt of Tales from 1265, episode for the 60s, which is available right now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that'll about do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Show. We'll talk to you next week, and uh, have a great weekend, everybody. The weather's starting, you know, as I tape this, it dropped like 25 degrees within an hour uh, in Milwaukee, but what do they call that, a pneumonia front or something like that? But uh, nevertheless, summer's almost here. Memorial Day is almost here, uh, and you know what? The weather's getting warmer. Get out, enjoy it, and you know what? Take your phone with you so you can listen to podcasts. That's what I do. Take my phone whenever I'm mowing the lawn or going for a walk around with the uh, in-law's dog or anything like that. You know what? You just take your phone with you. You just put your headphones in. You listen to your podcasts, and it makes the walk. It makes... The lawn mowing, it makes the workout, whatever it is, whatever you do, however you listen to this podcast, makes the drive home maybe just go a little bit quicker. So that's what we aim to do here on the Doug Russell Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.